Hi, I'm Dr. Laurie Appel. Welcome to my podcast, where we will be talking about a variety of mental health issues because, you know, we've all got issues. So despite the fact that research studies estimate that over a quarter of the population, perhaps up toward half of the population, have sought some type of therapy in their life, and that the majority have found it helpful, I found that people are still a little perplexed about how therapy actually works. What is the process by which therapy helps people? And you know, there are a lot of different types of therapies out there. There is psychodynamic therapy, interpersonal therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, brief solution-focused therapy, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, dialectic behavior therapy, behavioral activation therapy, hypnotherapy. Okay, so you get the point. A lot of therapies. And all these therapies seem to be doing something to help people. So I've been thinking lately about what are the commonalities or factors in any type of therapy school of thought that produces a positive result. Because if you would ask 10 different psychologists how to treat a particular client, you might get 10 slightly different answers or approaches. As part of my local professional organization, we often consult each other about an issue with a client we might want help with or advice on. And we often get a myriad of very good, but sometimes very different approaches to the same problem. And they all seem very logical and therapeutic. So what is the common thread among these knowledgeable folks with different ideas? What I've concluded over the years of working with clients and other professionals is that there are really three common factors that can make for a successful therapy experience. They are, first, the relationship with the therapist, second, developing knowledge, and third, strategies to mobilize change. So today, I'm going to break each of these down for you, and then we're going to wrap up with some of the client issues that would interfere with making therapy successful. Let's begin with the relationship between client and psychologist. The first part of the therapy process is finding a therapist, which can be a pretty daunting task. There are countless therapists out there, not to mention a plethora of schools of thought. Do you search the internet, look for reviews? And let me take a minute here to talk about reviews. You will find that most therapists have very few reviews. Why? Because Therapy is still a little stigmatized, and people don't necessarily want to put their name out there as having been to one. And if a therapist or really any doctor has a bad review, unlike, say, an Airbnb or restaurant review, a doctor can't explain or even address that review in any way because of confidentiality. So reviews can be few, sometimes spurious, and random. Not always that helpful. I think that probably the best way to find someone is to ask around. Your doctor, a psychologist you know, your child's guidance counselor, other professionals. Most will have a name of someone that they have worked with, and at the very least, they found them to be competent and professional. Now, even better, ask your friends. Although people may not want to put their name on a review, people are definitely much more comfortable talking about the fact that they or someone they know has seen a therapist. And a friend may have had more direct experience with that person than, say, a doctor or another professional. Most of my referrals come from other patients that I've had in the past or from professionals with whom I've worked closely. And that's very helpful to me because they come in with two things already in place. 
One, they know a little bit about my particular style and they're prepared for it. And secondly, if they've been open about seeking therapy and have asked around and done some research, they come in with an open and committed attitude about therapy, which research shows is directly correlated with success in therapy. All right. So now you're in the office. And from here, it doesn't usually take long to determine if that therapist is the right fit for you. I mean, sometimes it's just a gut feeling you have. And sometimes it's certain things they do or don't do that make you more or less comfortable. And while every psychologist is different, there are certainly things that all good psychologists should have in common. Let's call these the common elements of a good psychologist. They should listen to you and focus on you without making you feel judged, which is different from challenging you or confronting you, which we'll address later on. They should keep your information secret and secret. I mean, you have to feel safe, and they actually have a fiduciary and legal responsibility to keep your secret safe. They should stay focused on you during your time. They should respect your culture and your belief systems. They should always inform you of their approach while discussing goals and expectations. And finally, they should keep professional boundaries. Now, if you want to have an idea of what unprofessional boundaries look like, listen to the podcast, The Shrink Next Door, or check out the therapist in Ricky Gervais's Afterlife. Now, I cannot stress how important the therapeutic relationship, otherwise known as the therapeutic alliance, is. Dr. Hans Strupp, who is a pioneer in psychotherapy research, found that the quality of the therapeutic alliance, even when measured early in treatment, was found to be the best and most consistent predictor of outcome. And that is regardless of technique or therapy school of thought. So make sure that you like the person that you are trusting with your secrets and problems and vulnerabilities. And if you don't find a good fit first time around, try again. I've had people tell me that they had a bad experience once in therapy and so they never went back. And I say to them, so if you got a bad haircut from a stylist, Would you never go back to get your hair professionally cut? Remember, psychologists, doctors, lawyers, hairdressers, service providers, they work for you. You hire them. And if you don't like the one that you started with, okay, caveat here, this is different from fleeing therapy because things got tough or your psychologist is challenging you in your own best interest, then find someone else. As I stated early in this podcast, there are countless therapists out there, and with so many, there will invariably be one that is a good fit for you. The second thing that a good therapy should provide you with is knowledge. You are seeking a professional when you enter therapy. If you just wanted casual, biased advice or a sympathetic ear, you can call a friend. A psychologist is a person who has been trained to have knowledge about various aspects of human, develop, uh, human development, relationship dynamics, anxiety, depression, other mental health symptoms, and who can objectively assess your particular situation and pass knowledge on to you in a way that helps you to grow and thrive. I've sometimes described therapy as a course on the self. Now, like any course of study, a good psychologist will give you, the client, new information and afford that student the opportunity to apply this new information while being guided by the instructor or the psychologist. And if we look at therapy as a 
course of study in oneself, then what would be the syllabus for this course? Here's a sort of general view. The three things that you need to know about you is your biological self, your psychological self, and your social self. So the first, the biological self, is made up of your underlying genetic or even temperamental characteristics, the ones that you're born with, and your present or past medical and metabolic conditions. The psychological self is made up of unique individual experiences that have shaped your beliefs about yourself, about others, and the world in general. It also includes your mood, your thoughts, your actions. And finally, the social self is you in your current life circumstances, including your present employment circumstances, the state of your current relationships, and your lifestyle habits. All three of these spheres, if you will, need to be fleshed out in the beginning of therapy. And all three spheres are important from a clinical standpoint because unless your therapist looks at each of these factors, he or she may miss important elements that are necessary for success and lasting change. So this means that your psychologist must have at least some medical understanding and knowledge of brain functioning, a background in cultural differences and diversity training, and years of psychological education about human growth, development, and functioning. Now, once knowledge of these basic elements of you have been explored, the second part of the course begins, which is dealing with each of these spheres in a way that improves the quality of your life. And this is where we get into the third aspect of a successful therapy, the strategies that mobilize change. This is a more individualized process, and as I mentioned earlier, may include any number of strategies depending upon the psychologist's particular school of thought and their techniques, and your unique makeup. But the one thing that all strategies should have in common is, is that they should mobilize change. This may be change in thinking, change in action, change in mood, a change in the way you relate to yourself or your partner, your children, your friends. It might include changes in lifestyle habits or finding closure on past traumatic or significant events, confronting or challenging one's constructs and beliefs, managing current stressors, and addressing underlying biological, medical, or neurological issues. These strategies aimed at mobilizing change are the work part of therapy. And like any work, the work of therapy may at times be challenging, frustrating, or even boring. But over time with this process, both the knowledge imparted by psychologists and gained by you and the tools and strategies acquired Personal growth should develop, and personal growth is the goal of therapy. So now you're asking, what exactly is personal growth? And I liken it to sorting through your baggage and lightening up your load. Most of us come to therapy wanting to get rid of excess baggage. And here, let's define baggage loosely as the life events or circumstances that have adversely affect, affected your thoughts and your moods and your behavior, as well as your perceptions of yourself and others. This is the baggage that can weigh us down and is detrimental to our ability to be successful in our lives, our careers, our relationships, our lifestyles. Therapy is the work of unpacking these bags, sorting through them, and making decisions about what no longer fits. Through therapy, clients can make empowered decisions to take out some items or to take out and then repack them in a way that makes life less cumbersome. 
For example, it may be time to unpack and put away the cloak of martyrdom or maybe to repack the handbag of resentment and blame and put it in a less accessible spot. Now, therapy can also do one other thing to help with that baggage. It can build up psychological muscles like resilience, self-esteem, and insight that will help a person carry the weight of their baggage. Now, in a future podcast very soon, I will be addressing more specifically some of the psychological baggage that weighs us down. In terms of specific strategies, cognitive, behavioral, insight-oriented, there are far too many therapy schools of thought to address specific strategies in a single or even several podcasts. But whatever strategy your psychologist utilizes, it should be well thought out, discussed with, and agreed upon by you and reviewed often. One of the things that I state in my policy agreement when people come to see me is that, is that progress will be regularly, regularly reviewed and discussed in treatment. And that it is both my responsibility and you, the client's responsibility, to bring up issues related to a lack of progress. Therapy is a collaborative relationship. And that means that if our therapeutic alliance is good, if I've imparted knowledge to you and you feel educated, if we've developed strategies to mobilize change and yet nothing is happening, then we need to review what we're doing and make changes. I mean, maybe there's a block because our therapeutic relationship has been disrupted. Or maybe we need more knowledge, like psych testing or more exploration around childhood experiences. Or maybe the strategies that we've been employing are not effective. But whatever the problem is, we need to discuss it in sessions and fix it so that we can get back on track. Now, before we stop, I want to address one more thing. Even when the relationship is good and knowledge is gained and good strategies are utilized, therapy still sometimes doesn't work. And I think the reason, well, there are two major reasons here. The first has to do with pain. People really have to be in enough pain to do the work of change. Think of a toothache. If your tooth is hurting a little, well, you'll probably just let it go. You don't call the doctor, maybe see the doctor, but you don't really take the doctor's advice. But if the pain is extreme and intolerable, you're on the phone right away scheduling the next available appointment. And if the doc tells you to brush and floss every day and use a special rinse and that will relieve your pain and save your tooth, you're going to do it. Therapy is similar. If you want change, you have to work hard and often do things that may be outside of your comfort zone. And people need to feel enough discomfort in their current situation to find the motivation necessary to do that hard work. The other reason that people may not get the results that they want from therapy is, is that they don't anticipate the time the process of change takes. I mean, we live in a society with a microwave mentality. We get frustrated if our computer takes more than a second to load a web page. Therapy, on the other hand, utilizes concepts of working through in process. And what that means is that for real change to take place, you need to work through and process what has happened, what is happen happening, and how to achieve what you would like to happen. It rarely takes a few hours to develop a symptom or a problem. And yet many people expect it to take just a few hours to resolve. So without sufficient discomfort, which leads to hard work and a lot of patience to work through things, even a good therapy may not be successful. And while this may sound uncomfortable to many, remember that in life, the more difficult the effort, the more sustained the result. All right, that's it for today's podcast. I'm Dr. Laurie. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next podcast.
Dr. Laurie Appel is a licensed psychologist in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Her license and practice information is available on her website, lauriepelpsyd.com. All information provided on Dr. Laurie's podcast is solely for educational and informational purposes and is not meant to serve as psychological counseling. If you have personal issues you would like to explore, please contact a licensed mental health professional in your state.